sugar cane, sweet sugar cane. Sweetness of our southern trees. Well, thanks, Jim, for inviting me, and thank you all for having me. I was last here in Lafayette and three years ago, and I was thinking about how much had changed. You all didn't have a basketball coach. Ogeron was just getting started, and Zion Williamson was in high school. So it looks like everything has turned around in the last three years, and uh, this is the place to be. It, it, and I'm not even joking about this. If you all lost the national championship, I may have faked coronavirus and not come down here because I would, I would have been afraid. I would have been very afraid. Uh, so, you know, Jack set me up really well. I think we, we kind of have a roadshow some years, um, and I'm going to build on some of the stuff that he said and also talk about a few other issues. For those of you not familiar with the Sugar Association, um, like the ASA, we represent both the, the cane and the beet side of the industry um, with growers and processors and refiners. And, and as it's been mentioned before, uh, we have nothing to do with Farm Bill. What we really work on is the, the scientific side of the industry and the consumer education side, and that involves issues like dietary guidelines and, and the food label, as well as a bunch of education to health professionals um, and educators. So our ultimate goal, our mission, is for sugar to be recognized as a positive part of a balanced diet and eating in the enjoyment of a wide range of foods. And that doesn't sound like a really sexy goal, but if we could just get to this point, uh, I think we would all be really happy to end the demonization and, and for people just to feel comfortable with sugar. So today I'm going to talk a bit about consumption trends like Jack did um, with a little bit different data, not because his data was wrong, but in the nutrition side of things, the nutrition policy side, um, we often talk about sugar as uh, a percentage of calories. And there's a lot of ways you can measure consumption. These data are um, from USDA and Health and Human Services. Every two years they go out and they ask a couple thousand people, what did you eat? So it's a direct consumption record uh, instead of USDA availability data. The data mirror each other. It's just a different way that it's presented. Uh, as Jack talked about, the turn of the century really brought a huge decline in added sugars consumption. And I'll typically talk about added sugars because in nutrition policy, people don't care if it's honey, maple syrup, agave, corn syrup, or sugar. It's, it's all referred to as added sugars. So from the turn of the century here, oh, this is, I'm a little tight, we have a, 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 about a 30% decrease uh, in added sugars as a percentage of calories from 18% down to 12.6%. Uh, and this is the most recent data available, but the the 2018 data are probably going to be even a little bit lower. And this decline is almost entirely due to a decrease in soda consumption, which has gone down 30% since the turn of the century. And you can see up here, we were at about um, 54 uh, gallons per capita and down to about uh, 38 down in 2018. So, that's why when you look at, and this is a chart of all sweetener consumption from 1975 to, to 2018, the yellow is high-fructose corn syrup, and Jack made this pretty clear that there's been a, a big decline in high-fructose corn syrup. This dark blue is sugar, which has been relatively steady, slight increase um, since the mid-'80s. And then up top, uh, you know, honey, everyone talks about honey. You can't even see honey on here. It's just a little black line and one of the little things up there. But um, as, as we talk about this huge decrease in added sugars, the sugar industry has not felt it. Um, so it's been pretty steady. 
When it comes to sources in the diet of added sugars, uh, beverages make up almost half of the added sugars in the U.S. diet, and that's still, despite the decline in soda consumption, beverages are really a major factor. Um, and not to get into too much of the science, but um, one of the things that we really push for is to separate that beverage data from sugar and food data. And there's more and more evidence to come out that actually sugar in food is protective against things like cardiovascular disease. And it's not necessarily the sugar per se, but sugar is found more often in cereals and in yogurts and in foods that have positive nutrients and are a marker of an overall healthy diet where high fructose corn syrup is often found in soda, which that's where you see evidence of four or five sodas a day linked to diabetes and obesity. So the data when it comes to health are so different, and they're also just completely different animals. Sugar in food plays a totally different role in your diet than drinking sugar. So one thing we always push for when it comes to the federal agencies looking at the science is separate that beverage data from sugar and food data. Um, another reason is you know taking a look at common sense argument and I'll talk about reformulation of uh, reducing sugar going on. But why are you reformulating? Here we have condiments, gravies, spreads, and salad dressings. Why are we reformulating ketchup when it's only 2% of the calories from added sugars and not just telling people to drink less soda? Because um, that's worked. We're down 30% with that message. Same thing with, you know, you hear about flavored milk and yogurts being super high in added sugars and kids shouldn't eat them. Well, it's only 4% of the calories. So from a big picture standpoint, um, there's a pretty clear message if you want people to reduce consumption of added sugars. Uh, as Jack alluded to, um, you know, defending consumption is really, really important. And one of the reasons why is you, know, you have the media, but you also have some new policies and they're, they're no longer super new. Um, the last few years we've been dealt some new policies around added sugars consumption. You know, we've always had the dietary guidelines, well not always, but for the last 40 years, every five years, the US, um, USDA and Health and Human Services issues dietary guidelines for Americans. And there's always been some sort of a mention of monitoring added sugars intake. So whether it's, you know, vague, like reduce calories from added sugars, um, choose a diet moderate in added sugars. But in 2015, which was really, it came out in January of 2016, we got the first ever quantitative recommendation for how much added sugars you should consume. And these recommendations come in many forms, uh, teaspoons, grams, calories, or percent of calories. Um, so that's 200 calories a day, 50 grams a day, 12 teaspoons, or 10% of your total calories. Um, you know, when we got this first ever quantitative recommendation, we, we fought it so hard because there is no scientific evidence to say that if you have 11 or 12 or 13%, something bad's gonna happen to you. Um, so we fought it pretty hard, but I will say having this number is very, very helpful because the dialogue in 2014 and 2015 was around cut all sugar out of your diet. So it's nice to be able to say the government says you can have up to 200 calories a day from sugar, uh, despite there not being the science behind it. Um, so why did the dietary guidelines come up with the 10%? And that's because they see added sugars as a source of empty calories not incorporate it into foods and, and help serve as a vehicle for nutrients like cereals and like yogurts. And so the more sugar you eat, they see it as the less positive nutrients you're consuming. So it's all about calories fitting in your day. And I think this message isn't really communicated. People think 10% is some limit, as I mentioned, above which causes some harm. Well, that's not what it's about at all. It's that if you have 2,000 calories and you have to get your dairy and your meat and your grains and your fruits and vegetables 
um, how much extra room and calories are there. And according to this modeling, there's room for 200 calories from added sugars. Um, what, when the dietary guidelines came out, uh, ordinarily, you know, no big deal, nobody really follows the guidelines, but what was happening at that time was FDA was redoing the nutrition facts label. And on the left-hand side, you can see over here, we've got the old label. And the old label just had sugars. And that included the sugars that were naturally found in food, like lactose and milk, plus you know, anything that went into the chocolate to make it chocolate milk, or you know, the, the fructose and sucrose and glucose in an apple, plus anything that's added to it. So it was just all one big number, which scientifically, none of those sugars matter. So um, that was how it used to be. But when the dietary guidelines came out and consumers started to demand uh, the knowledge of how much added sugars were in their food, FDA proposed this new label, which is a law as of January 2020, and you'll start to see it, although FDA has extended the compliance deadline until July. So if you go to the store, you're gonna see um, some products with this new label, and, and definitely by July 1st, you'll see almost all products with this label. Um, there's a few issues with this label, uh, and I'll get to touching on them, but I think the biggest one is there's now this metric. So you have, uh, by FDA law, anything that's less than 5% of a daily value. And so the daily value becomes 10% of calories. So 50 grams a day is your daily value. If you have less than 5%, so two and a half grams, you're considered low in added sugars. But if you have 10 grams or more in a product, you're now high in added sugars. And what this means downstream, does it mean you could be banned from schools and hospitals and federal buildings or taxed? Um, there's all these downstream implications of having this number. Um, which is always a problem because if, I don't know, if you have 50 grams a day allowance, why can't you have 50 grams in one sitting and then not eat any for the rest of the day? It sort of takes away that total diet approach. They also changed the serving size of sugar from one teaspoon to two teaspoons um, because they thought two teaspoons reflects more what people do in terms of putting sugar in their coffee and tea, which I still don't understand why they did that. But um, one big victory in all of this that we had was Originally, FDA had said that on a bag of, or box of white granulated sugar, you were gonna have to say that there were added sugars to the bag of sugar, um, which uh, it didn't really make any sense. And so uh, the sugar industry, along with the honey and maple syrup industry, fought this hard. You know, honey and maple syrup have a bunch of problems with adulteration, and I think that was the argument that really got people. We don't have so much of that problem, but, um, it just didn't make any sense. There's nothing added to sugar. And so um, that, that got stopped. And this is what a bag or box of sugar is going to look like now, which doesn't make any sense. So they wanted to leave that line blank under total sugars. Um, and they still wanted people to know that if you were going to take sugar out of a bag, that still contributed to your total daily intake. So there's a blank line and then the percentage of how that amount contributes to your daily diet. And then down here, oops, down here, there's a little footnote for explaining that eight grams contributes 16% of your daily value. Of course, they didn't test this with consumers, and I'm sure people are going to be incredibly confused, but um, we're not going to fight it because it's better than the alternative. So when FDA first decided to put added sugars on the label, these were their, this is from FDA's documents. 
you know, there are so many different names for added sugars, whether brown rice syrup or, you, you know, you name it, corn syrup, that they want it a way for consumers to easily identify the presence of added sugars. And they want it, consumers to be able to compare product to product with added sugars. Um, and they want people to know the amount because now you have the dietary guidelines and how can you follow the dietary guidelines if you don't know how many added sugars are in your food. But the real reason is in red is that FDA wanted to pressure food and beverage manufacturers to reformulate. Now that you've got to show this number, you want this number to be as small as possible. And as I mentioned, it's metric now. So you want to be below 10 grams of added sugars per serving. So I use this example of like, what if you were an ice cream sandwich manufacturer and your whole business was school lunch and all of a sudden school lunch has to be below 10 grams, of course you're going to reformulate your ice cream sandwich. And so it's a very, very heavy-handed way to make manufacturers have to reformulate. And it worked for trans fat in the early 2000s, and so they thought, oh, we can just do it for added sugars. And I've touched on a few of these unintended consequences. Um, as I mentioned, you're putting a, a focus on a single product. So you have a brownie and you have 22 grams of added sugars instead of, you know, you're not going to have five brownies. So why don't you have the choice to decide how you want to construct your full day's diet? Um, it also, we did some research back when this came out that if you take two products, let's say two yogurts, and one of them is lower in calories, higher in protein, higher in calcium, but has more added sugars <coughs> compared to another one that's higher in calories, more fat, and less nutrients, they're, but lower added sugars, consumers are more likely to choose the, the version with lower added sugars despite the whole package of nutrients in the food. Um, I mentioned reformulation, which I'll get to in a second, and then the product bans and warning labels, which I'll talk about as well, are all downstream consequences of what FDA said was consumer access to information. Um, but there's always downstream consequences. So one of the problems that's, that exists when you try and take sugar out of foods, and in the mind of consumers, um, consumers want less sugar. They want less sugar, but they don't think that less sugar, they just think you can take some sugar out and not do anything else to the product. Um, but we know that's not true. Depending on the product, you either have to add you know, sugar substitutes and artificial sweeteners, or you have to add starch, you have to add fat. Um, there's typically about three ingredients that have to go into a food when you take sugar out because there is no substitute, despite, um, I always say, for all the hundreds of millions of dollars to come up with a substitute for sugar, like everybody could have a dietitian on a treadmill. And it, so there's just a bunch of money being spent on something that uh, there's no, not seen happening in the foreseeable future. So there's a lot of talk and, and a lot of big companies have made commitments to reduce sugar uh, and they're still working on it. But when we look at, this is the six largest food and beverage companies and their 10 largest product categories. If you look at the average sugar content from 2015 to 2018, um, you know, it certainly hasn't gone down and it's actually gone up a little bit. So all this talk about major reformulation, this is in new product launches, uh, and it's not happening in legacy project products. Like nobody's reformulating an Oreo to have less sugar or, or cereals. This is, you know, their new products which are supposed to be lower in sugar. Uh, people it's just really hard to do and have consumer acceptance behind it. And I'm not saying that reformulation won't happen because it will and it takes a long time. I think the average is 18 months for R&D to get a product reformulated. So we're going to start to see more, um, especially with some of these new sweeteners toward the end of this year. Uh, I think people were kind of waiting to see if all this was really going to happen and then they've gone on to try and figure out how to reformulate. So. We'll see some toward the end of the year, so it's not, we're not out of the woods, 
But I think a good case study is in the UK where they have had a lot more pressure to reformulate and they had targets um, of 20% reduction by 2020. And while initially they were able to cut down you know, easily in, in some product categories, they're stuck. Uh, and they're not meeting that target despite really, really heavy-handed government pressure because it's impossible. Um, it really is hard to reformulate sugar out of all of these products. So I don't have the answer on this. It's, it's very fluid. People are tr really trying to take sugar out. It's just, it's just not going, uh, I think, it's certainly what consumers thought would happen. When it comes to the activist pressure, uh, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, you know, it's, I think the default is that consumers are stupid. And so, therefore, you can't tell people to drink less or eat less or, or heaven forbid, monitor their calories every day. It has to be scare tactics. And so these sort of warning labels have become more prevalent um, because, you, you know, we're all too dumb to, to think for ourselves, so we have to get scared away from foods. And, and in Mexico, we're seeing they're doing front-of-package warning um, labels. The new Mexican president is about, we're hearing in the middle of February, to have a law to have, um, you know, warning labels on foods high in sugar, high in salt, and high in fat on the front of packages. So this is sort of the new activist way of talking to people is, you know, just scare them. Um, the, the American Medical Association last year um, wanted warning labels on products in the U.S. Now this hasn't gone too far, but this is a massive, this is the largest medical association trying to get, get FDA to put warning labels on high sugar foods. So this stuff isn't dying down, um, but it's also not going anywhere. So, um, but we continue to work on each of these issues as they come up. So when it comes to consumers, um, how do consumers feel? And there's a lot of answers to this. Consumers right now are, I think, are very confused about a lot of things, not just sugar. Um, I'll tell you the good news. At the end of the day, um, sugar is still the most popular sweetener by far, and most people report consuming sugar in the past 30 days. Most people also feel like sugar in moderation is okay, and most people also feel like restricting something of your diet out of your diet is not the way to go. But when it comes to the foods that or the ingredients that consumers are looking to avoid, sugar's at the very top, um, closely followed by high fructose corn syrup and artificial sweeteners. But you know, consumers are being told that if you can cut sugar out of your diet, your life's gonna be so much better. And as Jack alluded to, um, the sugar and obesity, I guess we can call it a myth at this point, although I, I always have to say, and that's why Jack said I approved it, you know, while we're not the driver of obesity, all sources of calories are part of the problem. And there certainly are some people who are overweight that should not be having six caloric beverages a day. Um, so we're, we're part of the problem, but clearly the data are showing that sugar does not drive obesity. And the activists know this. And so the activists have moved on. They're not trying to say sugar causes obesity anymore. Consumers, it's implanted in the consumer's brain. But the activists are moving on to things that are harder to disprove like inflammation and Alzheimer's and cancer and things that we couldn't even do studies uh, to disprove. And so um, if you really listen to where the activists are, they don't even talk about sugar and obesity. The problems to them are way, way worse. And it's these like fatal issues. So it's very hard to disprove them. Um, you know, of course, like we, we can disprove them, but we don't have that direct evidence that sugar doesn't cause Alzheimer's or doesn't cause migraines. And all, or insomnia. I mean, the list goes on and on of where they've moved to. 
But in the consumer's mind, body weight and sugar are definitely linked. And I, similar to Jack's graph, but just to show you all again, um, it's, it's really clear that obesity continues to go up. Latest reports, obesity and diabetes are up again this year, and added sugars continue to go down. So we've learned a lot in the past year and a half we've, uh, at the Sugar Association. We have done a lot of work with consumers and focus groups and consumer surveys, and um, we've learned a lot of things. Um, that's why I say consumers are really confused. But I think the most important things that we've learned are that consumers don't really want to hear about sugar and health. They don't believe anything that they hear from anybody, and they certainly don't want to hear about it from the sugar industry. But they do want to know how sugar is made, they want to know where sugar comes from, and then they can decide for themselves. And I think the most important thing that we learned was, you know, I, saw, I showed sugar was at the top of ingredients people were looking to avoid. What we learned is when you say sugar to a consumer, they think brownie, they think soda, they think cake. They are not thinking white granulated sugar, brown sugar, they're certainly not thinking about a sugar cane or a sugar beet, they're thinking the end product, which, you know, in a brownie there's more calories from fat and flour than there are by sugar, but sugar is just what you call those things. And so we were trying to figure out how could we talk about sugar that makes sugar more like honey and maple syrup, which consumers just love, and less like high fructose corn syrup. And so in this chart you can see if you just say sugar, um, it kind of has average view ratings of natural and healthy, but if you can say uh, cane sugar, look how natural and healthy it's perceived in terms of the consumer. And the same thing with beet sugar, the natural and the healthy perception goes up. For us at the Sugar Association, we certainly aren't going to say cane or beet sugar, but we can use terms like pure sugar and real sugar. And just that alone in a consumer's mind helps separate sugar from a brownie or a soda or high fructose corn syrup. And so real sugar is what we've started using, and it really resonates. There's actually um, a movement in the food industry of real being a seal on, on packages, whether it's you know, real wheat or real sugar or real milk. Um, consumers want to know that stuff is real. And so this was really interesting. And sugar, unfortunately, is a generic term for sweets, uh, and it lumps everything together. Here's the positive part. So things really are changing. And I, it's hard to put my finger on data points, but in the last three or four months, there's been a, a lot of dialogue that's very different. I'm at five and a half years now in the industry. And the last three months have been very dif different than the previous five years. This is a picture from a coffee shop in Arlington, Virginia, uh, where they just label things fake sugar. And like I said, the movement toward real and fake is a very real movement. And when you look at the online conversation, it's easy, at least where I sit, to feel like you know, everyone's afraid of sugar. But if you look at the online conversation on sugar, it's really positive. It's more positive than coffee and cats, and it's up there with birthdays. And um, this is, <laughs> I know, it's a good position to be in. And this is the trend over the last four years, and the negative conversation has actually gone down. Here are some of the headlines from the last couple of months. Uh, and it's really about, it's, you're hearing the common sense argument, maybe all this stuff about sugar that you've been hearing isn't necessarily true and sugar in moderation is okay. And you're also seeing a lot more caution around the alternatives to sugar. And here's probably one of the biggest articles to come out and especially in kids products with reformulation, um, 
I encourage you to go and look at like the kids snack aisle, look at Welch's fruit snacks and Quaker granola bars and Capri Suns, products that you would never imagine they would have artificial sweeteners in, they're in there. And now this is just starting to come to the forefront. And I'm not saying they're not safe, but the point is we don't really know about them. And, and they're certainly not recommended for kids' diets according to the American Academy of Pediatrics and others. So as Jim knows this very well, we're working on sort of bringing awareness around this issue of what is in your foods. Added sugars went on the label because consumers needed to know added sugars were in there. Well, consumers equally want to know what these other sweeteners are. So this is a big shift in terms of the media, um, media's reporting of sweeteners in the last couple of months. Another thing that's really changing in the landscape, and this is driven by millennials, is that this whole concept of wellness and balance trumps dieting. The millennials don't diet. They want a comprehensive, holistic wellness lifestyle. And so this idea of cutting things out is not nearly as popular as it was a few years back. And I also, um, I believe that this conversation, and, and Jack showed a, a different view of this same data, um, that people are going to start to realize the diet has changed dramatically in the past 40 years. We eat more calories, and those calories aren't coming from added sugars. And so I'm not saying that you've got to blame it on grains and on oils, but people need to take a look at the general <coughs> increase in food, decrease of activity, and if we keep blaming things on one nutrient, which it's called the sugar-fat seesaw. You know, when fat's bad, sugar's good. When sugar's good, bad, fat's good. And instead of that cycle, which has been going on for the last 50 years, um, take a more holistic look at the diet and what needs to change. The other positive news is that the most popular diet in 2019 was clean eating. And a clean diet includes ingredients you're familiar with, that you can read, um, you know where they come from, and sugar's positioned really, really well. And it also is a sign of the times of what's important to consumers. Like I said, real is important. Restriction is not on their radar. But knowing where their food comes from is very important. And so as I, the title of my talk was Embracing a New Decade, and that was a look back on some of the regulations, but also a look forward. And while reformulation is a funny time, and Jack talked about a slight dip in consumption in the past two years, there's going to be a few years of uncertainty. But moving forward, I, I believe, and Others do as well that sugar is in a very, very good role with the movement of where consumers are right now. Um, the functionality, as I talked about, you can't just take sugar out without putting things in, clean label, uh, the familiarity, it's minimally processed, which is something we're talking a lot about. Um, processed food is, is definitely a top of the <coughs> most wanted food products. And so explaining where sugar comes from and how it's made is really important. And then it's also from plants. And, plant-based eating is having a moment right now as well. So what we've learned is that you know, consumers really are looking for permission. They want to know it's okay to eat sugar, and they're also looking for balance. And that's where this 10% this guidance um, I see is so beneficial because, it, hey, this is how sugar fits in your diet. There's 200 calories to sprinkle throughout the day. And so the other thing, and I mentioned consumers don't want us to talk about health, and they really don't want to hear about health, and they really want to get connected to where sugar comes from. And so this is where our efforts are going, and I'm going to show you two images that um, I stole, no one knows they're on here, um, for our, a marketing campaign we're about to launch. But we've learned that if you can teach consumers about where sugar comes from and how it's made, they have less guilt and more confidence in eating sugar. Even though 
you know, where sugar comes from has nothing to do with obesity or diabetes. That's just how weird the consumer's head right, is right now. And so if we can teach them where it comes from, they'll feel less guilty about eating it. And so next week, this is my preview, we're launching a campaign and, and Sam will get these materials and I encourage him uh, to post from, from the league's pages as well as share with, with those of you who are willing to, to uh, take part in the campaign because the more people that are talking about where sugar comes from, the better. And so here's one example of the type of, of thing, and these will be going in two cities, but it's also going to be amplified by members all over the country. Um, you know, rooted in nature and not a lab. We, we tested this with consumers. It really, really resonates. And these are so simple. But consumers don't know what sugarcane looks like, unless you're from Louisiana or Florida. You don't know what sugarcane looks like, and you've never thought about sugar. We learned only 30% of consumers know sugar comes from plants. And when you tell them it comes from plants, they don't not believe you, they just truly have never thought about it. And so this is just a really basic way to educate consumers. I mean, we're not lying, I mean, that's sugarcane. Um, and so it's, it's sort of bulletproof. Uh, and here's just another image, and you can see we've got this. It's hard, so I stole these images from a last proof of a creative, so I apologize, they're not, they're a little fuzzy. Um, but we have a little real sugar seal that's gonna go on all of these images. Um, so you know, we don't always have to say what the plant is. It's like, oh, that's sugar. So we're really excited about that. It's, it's launching next week and it'll go through Easter, but it, it, it should be used forever until 100% of consumers know sugar comes from plants. We're gonna continue to, to get these messages out there. And I'll leave you with the last bit of good news, and this is a really confusing chart here, um, but what it is is USDA uh, food group data from 1910, and down on the bottom is added sugars. And since 1910, added sugars in the food supply has never been below 11% of calories. So even though there's all this crisis, and, and, and Jack and I have talked at length about this little dip in consumption the last two years, I do think there's going to be a little rockiness. Um, I also think high-fructose corn syrup will be obsolete in I don't know how many years, um, all but obsolete. And so I just don't ever see the food supply going below 10 or 11%, and we're at 12.5% right now. So it, while it is uncertain, I, I'm optimistic, and I'm also 100% Irish, I'm still optimistic, that, um, that we'll ride out these weird times and a lot of hype and a lot of reformulation to be that sought-after sweetener um, once again. And with that,